Our scripture for this morning comes from the book of Philippians, chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. I'll be reading from the New Revised Standard Version. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, my beloved. I urge Eodia and I urge Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you also, my loyal companion, help these women, for they have struggled beside me in the work of the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near you. Do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, Whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. The word of God for us this morning. Thanks be to God. I urge you to be of the same mind. I saw a meme recently on Facebook, or I don't know if it was a message somebody texted to me, but it basically said, don't let the donkey and the elephant make you forget you belong to the lamb. I thought it was a good reminder that we are first and foremost followers of Christ, called to be of one mind with him called to love like him, called to live like him, called to be merciful and forgiving like him, called to have his same grace with others. Sometimes in an election year, people forget this. They forget that our first priority and our first interest should be Christ. As I read Philippians chapter 4, I wondered what was going on in the church of Philippi. I mean, what could have caused these two women in the church to be at such odds with each other that Paul would feel the need to write to the church asking them to intervene in a dispute? I mean, how bad does it really have to get before you get sent to the principal's office? I mean, I, I, I went through that. You, you had to, you know, push a lot of buttons before you get to that level. How bad does it really have to get before someone reports you to your boss because you're not getting along with a coworker? How bad does it really need to get before you have to bring in a counselor or a therapist to intervene as a third party to settle things and untangle the mess that you have going on? When I think about that, I think it must have gotten pretty bad for these two women and Paul writes to the church and he says, I urge you, I urge. Paul is saying, I urge you 
to be of the same mind of Christ. And I'm going to say this to you guys in front of the whole church. I am writing it to you so that the whole church knows that this is what I am telling you to do. I urge you to be of the same mind in Christ. And I don't know about you, but when you get called up in front of everybody else, it kind of gets your attention, you know. Nobody likes to be called up in front of everybody else and kind of singled out. And so I think Paul is having to be a little careful how he words this message to these two women because he doesn't want to make things worse. He really wants them to be able to find a way to reconcile with each other and to come back together and to get over their differences. And I love that he doesn't take sides. He doesn't say, hey, Eodia, you listen to Syntyche, or Syntyche, you listen to Eodia. He doesn't say that. He simply tells both women to meet together in the middle by finding common ground in the mind of Christ. That is great advice. If we all draw closer to the Lord, by definition, we will draw closer to each other. No one likes to be sent to the principal's office. No one likes to have a third party have to get involved to resolve problems. No one likes their ugliness to be made public. But sometimes, when everything else has been tried and there hasn't been a reconciliation, then something has to be done. And Paul feels that that point has arrived for these two women. He could not believe that there is a rift between these two women who have been his co-workers in Christ. Paul reminds the church these are loyal companions. These are women who have struggled with him in the work. These are women who know Jesus Christ. He says that together with Clement, they have done a lot to propose the gospel to others, to share Jesus Christ. And he says, these basically are Christian leaders among us. And their names are already written in the book of life. And Paul is saying, we got to be able to come together in Christ and find some common ground. Paul knew that these women needed help. They needed help to get along. They clearly had tried to do it on their own, and it had not worked. Otherwise, he would have never written the letter mentioning this. He mentions it because clearly it had not worked. They had not been able to get together. And so he writes the church and he tells the church, help them, help them. And I want you to hear those words because I think Jesus calls us as the church to help people to come together. That part of our task as followers of Jesus Christ is to help bridge the gap between people that have disagreements and to remind them that we can find common ground as children of God, as people of faith, as those who know a different way to live. As a parent, I can really relate to what Paul was saying here. You see, we try to teach our children and talk to our children all the time about sharing and getting along with their brother or sister. But we all know when they cross that line, and we have to get involved before somebody gets hurt. We know when we have to get involved as a third party to bring peace when there is no peace. And oftentimes, I think we as a church 
don't do enough to bring people to the middle and to remind them that it's not about being to the right or to the left, but it's about being in the center with Jesus Christ. That that is the place where we are to find the greatest peace and the greatest grace. And sometimes we just need help ourselves because we don't recognize it. You know, when you are in a moment in the heat of the passion of arguing with somebody, sometimes you forget that you need to be an example of Jesus Christ. And it takes a loving parent or a leader or a trusted friend to sometimes pull us aside and say, hey, do you realize that you're not acting the way you should? That you're not being as loving as you should? That you're not being that Christian that you say you are? That you're not being as understanding and forgiving and gracious with others as Jesus is with you? This is a good reminder to all of us during this political season to remember to treat each person with dignity and respect and to remind ourselves that at the end of the day, regardless of what happens with elections, Jesus is still the king. Paul goes on to remind the church to rejoice in the Lord always. He says basically that rejoicing pushes away worry. When we are experiencing the joy of the Lord, our day simply goes better. We enjoy our time more because we are thinking about all of the good things that God has already done in our lives. We're not just worrying about stuff, but we're actually celebrating what God already has given us. And the circumstances and difficulties of the day then don't seem so bad because we know that Jesus is walking through that day with us. But joy also has another effect. It makes us gentler. You know, when you're experiencing joy, you're not as abrasive. You're not as rough. You're not as abrupt. When you're experiencing joy and you have joy in your heart, then you can be gentle even when you disagree with someone. You can find a way to share your point in a way that is respectful. If we are to have the mind of Christ, then it makes sense for us to be gentle. Because Jesus was gentle, especially with those who were broken, especially with those who were being already beaten down by their circumstance, or those who were experiencing illness, or those who were at the margins of society. Jesus was gentle. He was firm, but he was gentle. Another reason to be gentle is that Paul tells them that the Lord is near. And this could be read several ways. We could interpret this as the Lord is about to return, so you might as well tone it down and relax because this world's going to pass and we're going to go on. But another way to read it would be to think about the Lord being near to us and watching everything we do, watching everything we say. And if we acted thinking about Jesus standing right behind us, watching our every action, watching every single word that we are uttering, watching every gesture that we do, I really believe that we would be a lot gentler, that we would be a lot more gracious, that we would be a lot more forgiving, that we would really begin to show people more love. And then Paul's tell them not to worry about anything. And I have to admit, I've always found this one of those hardest 
commandments to follow. If he had said, don't worry about the little things, just worry about the big things, I would go, yeah, I, I can do that. I'll leave the little things to God. I'll worry about the big things. But that's not what he says. He says, do not worry about anything. Don't sweat the small stuff and don't sweat the big stuff and nothing in between. Make sure that you do not worry about a thing. He's basically saying, not a thing. Not one thing should be a worry to us. And I don't know about you, but a hard thing to do. Because we all have a list of concerns or cares or needs or issues that we're dealing with. We all have worries about what will happen tomorrow or the next day. What will happen with our jobs and our economy and our government and our schools and our children and a number of things. I mean, I'm sure that you can come up with your own long list of things that you think about all the time and worry about. But you see, worry doesn't resolve any problems, does it? Even if I worry about things 24-7, it doesn't move me any closer to resolving them or to moving beyond them. It doesn't produce peace or joy in my heart because all it does is give me more anxiety because I'm thinking about all the stuff that I have to figure out somehow. And so Paul says, I don't want you to worry about anything. I want you instead to do this. I want you to pray in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Pray. Pray about it. But Paul doesn't stop there, does he? He tells us how to pray. With thanksgiving, without forgetting what God has already done, without stopping uh, your counting of blessings, without forgetting that Jesus is still in control. Pray with an attitude of being a blessed person who has already received grace and mercy, who is already saved in Jesus Christ, who has already been redeemed, already been forgiven, who is already trying to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Pray like that. And when you pray like that, you will be praying with thanksgiving because you will see that you have so much to be thankful for. Our blessings, folks, are many. Our joys are many. Our promises written in Scripture for us are many. And when we consider all of these things, when we consider what Jesus has offered us in eternal life, we can't help but experience thanksgiving and joy as we pray. And praying with an attitude of thanksgiving allows us to come before the Lord recognizing that we're not asking him to start being good to us now, but rather that he has been good to us all along. The good, good father, that he has already loved us, that he has already cared for us, and that he is already taking care of those things that we worry about because he's already seen the end from the beginning. Paul says, make your request known to God. Let him know what is keeping you up at night. 
Let him know what worries you. Let him know what you're needing him to intervene in and to act on. Let him know specifically what miracle you need, what healing miracle you might be asking for. Let him know so that he can glorify himself in your life by answering those prayers, by being present when you need him most. I've always thought that prayer is a lot about us because God already knows what we need. He knows before we ask what we need. And so I think that when we pray, when we bring these things before God in an attitude of things, what we're saying is, God, we believe in you. We trust in you. We know that any concern, care, or worry that I have in my life can be handled with your help and that you are already making a path through my problems, even if I don't see it. When we pray, we're declaring our trust in God and our faith in Jesus Christ. We're declaring power in the Holy Spirit to be able to do things that we couldn't do before. And we are declaring that we believe that God can restore, God can heal, God can break addictions, God can cast out depression, God can remove obstacles in our path, God can give us favor with our boss, God can help us to be at peace even in the middle of the fiercest storm. Because we believe that his peace passes all understanding. Make your requests known, and in doing so, express your faith and your trust in him who is able to do far more than you can ask for or expect. When we express ourselves to God, when we make these requests known to him, Paul says that the peace of God, the peace that passes all understanding, will guard our hearts and our minds. He says, when we do this, when we put that before God, and when he says this, when he says pray, I really do believe that he brings, bring it before God and leave it there. Bring it before God and leave it there. Let God take your worry. Let God take your concern. Let God take your care. When we come to God that way, he says, the peace that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and your mind. Who wants that peace? I do. I want that peace every day. I want the peace that I have and I don't even understand because it's so amazing and so wonderful. I want that peace that does not depend on my circumstances, that only depends on the presence of God. I want that peace that Paul describes that will guard my heart. You know, this is something that we need all the time. How many of us have had negative thoughts try to enter our mind in the middle of a problem? Or negative feelings try to invade our hearts and take over? It happens all the time, doesn't it? The attack of the enemy trying to come in and steal that peace. <coughs> Excuse me. The peace of Jesus Christ stands between us and worry. It stands between us and negativity. It stands between us and concern. It stands between us and the I can't. 
It stands between us and anything that would try to separate us from the love and the peace that we have in Jesus Christ. This reminds us that our salvation is guaranteed in Jesus. No worry, no concern, no care in this life can separate us from God's great love. And so when these lies try to be inserted into our mind, the peace that Jesus Christ gives us serves like that plastic bag did in the children's time. It keeps it from flooding us, from overtaking us, and from ruining our day. Finally, Paul says this, instead of worrying, pray, and then think about whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is commendable, and if there's any excellence, and if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. There's nothing better than to chase a bad thought with a good one. You chase it out. You bring in the good, the excellent, the pure. You bring in the blessing, and you begin to see yourself as was blessed by the presence of Jesus, and then these things that are worries begin to be pushed to the side and pushed out. Paul was reminding the church that we need to set our mind on good things, on the things of Jesus Christ, and that when we do that, then we are protected. This is more than positive thinking, though. What Paul is saying is we, as followers of Christ, should devote ourselves not only in deed, but even in thought to Jesus Christ. That we should be not just acting like Jesus, but thinking like Jesus and, and feeling like Jesus. And Jesus was always victorious, even over death. When we catch ourselves straying from the mind of Christ, we need to focus back on what we have learned. And so Paul says, you know, keep doing what you learned and saw in me that reminded you of Christ. Keep doing the things that I taught you. And if you do that, the peace of God will be with you. Paul leaves us with, his final, with this final promise. Do these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Today, I just want to ask God to give you that peace that passes all understanding. I want to ask God to give you that ability to push away worry and bring everything to him in prayer. I want to ask God to continue to give you strength to see the light at the end of each tunnel, and to know that even in the darkness of the tunnel, Jesus is walking with you. Don't forget, bring everything to God in prayer. Let us pray. Dear God, we thank you. We thank you because we really don't have to worry about things in this life. You know our hearts. You know our needs even before we express them. And the scripture tells us that you love us so much that you care about each and every one of our needs. Lord, in this day, if there's anybody out there that is burdened by their worry, I ask for the peace that passes all understanding to be in their hearts and in their minds right now. 
I ask you, O oh Lord, to let them rest on you by bringing their requests and making them known to you. I ask, O oh Lord, that you will bless them by showing your mighty hand acting in their lives, answering their prayers, showing them mercy. So, Lord, we just, you will continue to give you, give us your peace. Give us your peace and help us to continue to move forward. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.